2: programs, and welcome to the Nerd Cave Retro
0: Show. My name is Jason Robbins. And I'm Derek Diamond. So how was your trip, my friend? It was really good. Um, to let the listeners know, I took uh, a trip up to uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, my first time ever in the Northeast, for the uh, Steelers-Patriots NFL game that was yesterday. Uh, flew out um, Saturday morning, actually went through, I think three separate airports, Wow, <laughs> which was a, a first for me. We went from Pensacola to Charlotte, North Carolina, to New York, and then to Pittsburgh. And it was funny when we landed in New York, like it's pretty far outside the city, but the city's so big, you can see it like out all the windows. Yeah. And, and I felt like, um, I felt like Colonel Rhodey, in uh, the first Iron Man, when he sees the uh, you know the silver Iron Man suit, and he says "Next time" and yeah. runs away. <laughs> like I looked over at New York, I'm like "Next time." Yeah. But no, it was it was a lot of fun. You know, it it's uh, very different than it is around here where where we live. Uh, I was sure. quite a bit colder. <laughs> uh, plus, it, it rained during most of the game, so that didn't really help. So it was already like 42 degrees, and then it rains and it's mm. very cold. But it, it was it was a lot of fun. It, it was good getting to, to go somewhere different. And then we we're recording this around close to 1.30 in the afternoon on Monday. I landed uh, back in Pensacola about an hour ago. Wow. I didn't know you so, it was that close. <laughs> well, we were supposed to land at noon, but the flight from Charlotte to Pensacola left like 20 minutes late. But, I mean, I, I live like five minutes from the airport, so yeah. it, it's not like I had to really rush to get home. Well, I got back yesterday evening. I spent the weekend up
2: in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, visiting Ew. my brother, and uh, that was a fun. It was a fun trip. Uh, I wish we could have stayed a little longer, but um, but Tina had to go back to work today, and uh, I have today off. And then I work the next three days, and then I'm off until this, uh, January second.
0: Nice. So nice. I yeah had- my my last. My last full day of work was last Thursday, and then I had to work a uh, high school all star game on Friday night. Yeah, but yeah, I'm I do have to work New Year's Eve, which kind of sucks, but Ooh. it's it's not like an all night thing. It's from like five to eight. Oh, We're hosting yeah. like a little, you know, New Year's Eve event because downtown Pensacola has decided to not host any type of big New Year's thing, which I find to be kind of strange, but. We're stepping in and doing that, and then, um, but yeah, other than that, I'm off of work from now until January 2nd. Awesome. Yeah, I could have
2: had the rest of this week off, but um, I told my boss I'd work a bit (laughs) just to get caught up on some stuff, and uh, just to make a little extra money. A little extra money doesn't hurt.
0: Yeah, that's very true.
2: But like you said, we're doing this on a, uh, at 1.30 on Monday afternoon, which is kind of weird to be podcasting while the, the sun's out. Uh, it's right? been a long time since that's happened.
0: <laughs>
2: but I could get used to it.
0: Yeah, I feel like I'm in some type of you know alternate reality, or I'm back in like 2013 and 2014 when I had wow. time to do <laughs> podcasting during the day. Isn't
2: that the truth? Nah, this would be nice yeah. if this was all I had to do. Was sitting podcast all day, that'd be great. But let's go ahead and move into the news for this week. <music> this is from NintendoLife.com. Hyperkin has created a prototype portable Nintendo 64 Mini, but it may not enter production before you get too excited. Uh, just this last week, Ramon Nevos Moral. Uh, who is the senior account manager at Hyperkin, uh, tweeted out a picture of this uh, device. And he said, uh, this is his quote on the, the, t- uh, the tweet. I took a picture of an N64 handheld prototype at the uh, research and development par- department, not with the intentions of leaking it, But they shouldn't trust me, though. I just want them to hurry up. Design is not final. I call it social media pressure. They said it's number 38 on their priority list. They don't know what they're missing. N64 is life, though. It's either they trust me or I get fired. Good thing they forgot the NDA on this one. I guess they're really busy. Hashtag mind blown. Uh, There's a couple of pictures here. Uh, There's a cartridge slot on the back. There's a little screen. Uh, It's kind of like a little screen on the top of an N64 controller. Uh, And it also says that uh, Nintendo Life has contacted Hyperkin for comment, and they have revealed that action has been taken against Navos Moral for distributing internal R&D projects online. Hyperkin has also confirmed that the device is indeed real, but like many of the devices it produces behind closed doors, it's just a prototype and may not enter production.
0: I can't see this thing being very comfortable to play. Not really. Because the N sixty four controller is not the most comfortable one anyway. So I, I don't know how he- like heavy the screen is that they've installed onto it, but I can't see like you know, you have to prop your hand up on a table or something. Like you yeah. can't just, <laughs> you know, sit there on the couch and play it because I feel like the screen's gonna weigh it down. And plus with the cartridge slot in the back. Yeah. I, I don't see it being very like user friendly. Yeah, I don't either. I, I just
2: this would be cool to to see and play, but like you said, it just looks really uncomfortable and uh yeah. you know, it doesn't look very um I don't know, it's just not like ergonomically
0: pleasing. Now, it doesn't even you know, no disrespect to those who are developing it, but it doesn't really look that great either. It's literally, it's like they just slapped a screen on top of a controller. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it is. It is a little bit ugly. Um, I, and I hate to say that. I mean, it it's cool, but at the same time, it is just a prototype, and it's kind of just, it just looks weird. So go over to NintendoLife.com/news, and uh, you'll be able to find uh, the link to this. Uh, this came out on Wednesday. Uh, this. Uh, Article came out, so it's it still should be up on the front page.
0: Yeah, definitely. Let us know uh, what you guys think of it. I'd love to. I love reading the comments on you know Twitter and Facebook about you know people's thoughts on the articles we read and the reviews we do as well. So
2: yeah, if you have definitely if anybody has any news articles they want us to cover, please just tweet them to us, and we'll uh, we'll stick
0: them in the show. No, absolutely, absolutely. Our next story comes from. In gadget.com, the Atari box delays pre-orders due to development problems. Uh, pre-orders for the Atari box were scheduled to start on December 14th, but it appears that plan has hit a snag. Atari sent on an email today that said it's taking longer than expected to create the platform and ecosystem the Atari community deserves. The company wants to make sure its product lives up to expectations, so it's delaying the pre-orders and until it can figure out whatever issues the Atari box is facing, an updated launch plan is going to be announced in the next few weeks, and the Atari Box team will keep supporters in the loop about what's going on. I know this is kind of something that, you know, has been a, an interesting topic to talk about with gamers, and that's delaying things. Yeah, because a lot of newer games, you know, for those who follow E3 every year, a lot of games they'll announce like a concrete release date. And then they end up pushing it back because they need more time, or there's been some type of an error. Um, to me, and I've had this subject discussed on on the Nerd Cave before. I think that gaming companies, whether it's console, um, you know, talking about individual games, pre-orders, don't set a concrete date unless you know a hundred percent that you can do it, that you yeah. can commit to it.
2: Well, another thing too is this thing, thing has a two hundred and fifty to three hundred dollar price range. Who's yeah. developing games for this thing? I haven't heard anything other than they're just they're putting out an Atari box. Like, okay, well, who's developing games for it? Do you have any launch titles, or you know, is it just preloaded Atari games? Are you going to be able to put games on this thing? Like, what are the specs of this thing? How? How do you get games on this thing? There's been nothing, unless I just missed it completely. I haven't seen anything about it either. So I I'm right there with you. I mean, it looks cool, but there's no info out about this thing. I mean, why would anybody drop three hundred dollars on this thing? And there's you know there's no games for it. There's like no launch titles for it or anything. That's just this weird to me. Like uh, this whole thing seems fishy.
0: Yeah, it, it's kind of weird that they've been so vague on like real details other than hey, we're doing an Atari.
2: Yeah, cuz if they're going to really try to compete in this market, you would have seen, you know, a a huge uh like push as far as, you know, social media or any kind of media, like any kind of media push on this thing to get it out there to people know that, hey, Atari's trying to make a comeback.
0: There's been nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. Yeah. No, they, they need to actually announce some type of details before they even, like, to me, they should have done that way before they're like, oh, we're doing pre-orders, because you're kind of pre-ordering it based on its name alone.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I'm sorry, but Atari doesn't have, doesn't carry the weight that it did, you know, 30 years ago, 35 years ago. No, no, you're absolutely right. at all. But let's go ahead and move into this month in video game history. On December 12th of 1983, Nintendo publishes Donkey Kong Jr. math for the Famicom. And if there's one thing kids love, is doing math
0: on on their video games. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I completely forgot about this game. I've never played it, but I have heard of it. So I I thought this was just kind of funny to throw in there that, you know there there were some educational games that Nintendo did that the one I remember playing uh, did you ever play Mario is missing?
2: That's the, that's actually what just popped into my head I was gonna ask yeah. you about that that's really the only one I really remember,
0: and I actually liked that game more than the reviews like you know because the, the reviews are pretty poor, but I actually didn't dislike that game because I thought it was kind of cool going around and. Recovering all the different landmarks and everything around different countries. And, you know, you look at the map and it's it's the world map made in Mario World style, which I thought was really cool. So, you know, even Nintendo can't escape trying to to use education in their gaming. No, we don't want that. We don't want it. (laughs) (laughs) We'll save that for school. Yeah. Uh, December of 1984, Capcom releases 1942.
2: I still love that game. Still one of the best scrolling shooters ever made. I think that was probably one of the first, I'd say, probably five or six games that I ever played for the uh, regular Nintendo when I was a kid, before I actually got the Nintendo.
0: I want to say we talked about this last week, didn't we? We did. It was
2: for some We briefly really touched on it. Yeah, there was another game that was kind of the... The very first scrolling shooter that inspired ni- games like 1942, but I don't remember which game it was.
0: Yeah, I can't remember either, but you know, this is a game that I'd love to play at some point, but I've oh, just never great. never gotten to. Uh and also on
2: December 17th of 1984, Nintendo releases Ice Climber and Balloon Fight for the Famicom slash NES. Uh, I never played Ice Climber, but Balloon Fight is still a really fun game to play. Uh, And if I'm not mistaken, it's on the NES Classic, isn't it? It is. Which I'm going to still try to pick one up if I can find one. I keep getting all these tweets and notifications that Target or Walmart has uh, uh, Nintendo uh, Classics and SNES Classics. I'm like, "Eh, I don't have any money right now because I'm buying presents for other people
0: that's always how it works out yeah but no uh, balloon fight is it, one of those games that it's so simple but it's kind of addictive yeah in its own way and I, I've personally never played ice climber my real memory of ice climbers are using them in the Super Smash Brothers games which are actually pretty good characters oh yeah uh, let's see December 19th 1986 Nintendo releases kid Icarus ah kid Icarus. I I always
2: wanted Kid Icarus, but I never got around to actually buying it. It was always one of those games I borrowed from friends. And I remember Kid Icarus being just ridiculously hard. And if I'm not mistaken, it's still notorious for how hard it was.
0: Yeah, I've heard stories about that as well. And this is another game that I haven't played either. Um, But I've played as Pit on Super Smash Brothers, and he's... He's, again, another decent character. He's one of those characters that some of his attacks are so annoying that they <laughs> piss off your opponents. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, more, more motivation to use him. Uh, and also on December 17th of
2: 1987, Capcom releases the first Mega Man game in the long-standing series for the NES slash Famicom. Uh, like, we've talked about this on numerous occasions. The first Mega Man game wasn't really that great and it was a little too hard, but it laid the foundation for what was to come. Mega Man Two is still considered one of the best games you can get for the NES.
0: And we—this was another thing that we touched on uh, last week—that they're doing, you know, Mega Man Eleven. But they probably should have done it this year because it's the what yeah. the 30-year anniversary.
2: Yep. Actually, I just got something—a uh, notification. From something the other day, uh, saying that um, I think it was today or yesterday was the actual 30th anniversary of Mega Man being released.
0: Was mm-hmm. is today Yeah, it was 17th? yesterday.
2: Okay, yeah, today's the 18th. Um, but yeah, uh, Mega Man was kind of a flop at the time for Capcom, and they had no plans to do a part two. But it did well enough, and that the uh, the, the the programmers loved the game so much that. They were allowed to work on Part 2, but they had to do it in their off time. So Mega Man 2 was actually a labor a labor of love for the developers
0: mm-hmm. of the game, and that's kind of why it was so good. To tell you the, the only real memory I have of Mega Man, because I, I never played the games growing up, but I collected the... I think I've told this a little bit of this story on the podcast, but I used to collect the Sonic the Hedgehog comic book that still, I don't think it's running anymore or it might be about to end, but um, I started collecting those books when I was like five or six years old. And a few years ago, they did a Sonic and Mega Man crossover where it was Robotnik teaming up with Dr. Wily to fight Mega Man and Sonic, so you had like all their characters cross over, and it was actually a really well done story. So that that's really like the the main memory that I have of Mega Man. That's cool. It's it's an interesting series. It was like a... because s- yeah. Mega Man had his own book as well. I can't remember if it if he still does, but it crossed over you know both books so you had to get issue whatever of Sonic and then to continue the story you had to get huh. issue whatever of Mega Man That's cool And rounding out this month in video game history on December 3rd, 1996, Lucas Arts and Nintendo releases Star Wars Shadows of the Empire for the N64, one of my favorite all-time N64 games. Yeah, I love that game so much, and it angers me that Shadows of
2: the Empire is considered not canon at this point.
0: And it's weird because, you know, I was watching A New Hope last week, and in the special edition, when they do the shot where they're panning out and you see all of Mos Eisley, you see Dash Rendar's ship leave Mos Eisley.
2: (laughs) It's so weird because you know in the 90s from you got to remember kids back in the the late 80s early 90s from 1983 to 1989 we had no star wars no star wars movies no star wars tv shows nothing all we had was books uh and comic books that the the extended universe that's all we had and then you know in 1996 the star wars shadows of the empire was released for uh, the in '64, and it took place between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. It was considered canon, um, and it kind of continues the story of, um, you know what happened to Boba Fett as he tries to get um Han, Han Solo uh, encased in carbonite to uh um to Jabba the Hut, and you know Luke and Leia trying to to track him down. Uh, and then there's this whole uh, Black Sun Syndicate thing going on. And it's just, it's this huge story. And it's no longer canon. And it sucks.
0: Yeah, the book is still my all-time favorite extended universe book. Because they did the actual novel. They did a graphic novel uh, that initially ran as like a, a comic miniseries. And then they yeah. combined it into one book. Yeah, had the video game. It, it's... To me, it's still like the best extended universe story of all time because it it takes place like within that precious little time period and it fills the gaps so nicely. Yeah, but of course, it's it's not canon. I think we should start a
2: petition online that we actually bring Shadows of the Empire back into canon.
0: Have you seen the like the memes of Sebastian? I think his name's Sebastian Stan, who played uh, Winter Soldier how he looks like a young Mark Hamill. Yeah, I've seen that. (laughs) If they were to ever do like a, like a live action shadows of the empire, I'd be okay with him playing Luke. I would too. I I think that should, that
2: that should happen. If, if if I was in charge of stuff that would happen because you could turn shadows of the empire into another trilogy because there's so
0: much going on in that
2: storyline.
0: Oh yeah, you develop so many characters. Like you it's still my favorite incarnation of Boba Fett. Yeah. Because you actually get to see Boba Fett do what people think makes him so cool. Because in the movies he's a he doesn't do anything.
2: Yeah. Well, you got the whole Boba Fett storyline. You've got Luke and Leia um with Chewbacca um kind of getting in with smugglers and You've got, uh, Dash, the whole Dash You've got the whole Dash Rendar storyline. You've got the Black Sun storyline. You could do three movies on that easy.
0: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you wanna tell people the big news,
1: Oh, for sure, and I, I love the the plot line with
0: uh, Prince Shizor trying to take over uh, as the Emperor's like new second in command. Yeah, and trying to underhand Vader like that. That whole storyline was really good because you you kind of see Vader's insecurity a little bit. Yeah, uh, I could
2: I literally could sit and talk about this for hours. So we better we better move on
0: if we want yeah, to. get Yeah, we probably our, should. Yeah,
2: um, but go ahead and let's let's go ahead and let you tell everybody about books right now.
0: So, for you, the listeners of the Nerd Cave Retro Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free thirty-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. We are in Star Wars season, as I like to call it. Nice segue from Shadows of the Empire. You can actually find Shadows of the Empire on Audible. Yeah, I, I was going to say
2: it's right here. Uh, it's um, by Steve, written by Steve Perry, narrated by Anthony he- Heald. Uh, it's three hours and five minutes long.
0: So that's going to be my recommendation for this week, is Star Wars Shadows of the Empire. Solid, solid book. Probably still my favorite Star Wars book of all time. You can't go wrong with it. Uh, There's other Star Wars books out as well, Bloodline, Phasma, Leia, uh, if you want to read up some stuff to lead into The Last Jedi, if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, But they have other genres as well. They have mystery, sci-fi, romance, fiction, non-fiction, Uh, If you like gaming books, they have books from Halo, Gears of War, Mass Effect. Any kind of book you want, Audible has. And to do that, go to audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash nerdcave for your free audiobook download and 30-day free trial. And this week we're talking about That music can only mean one thing. We are going back to Donkey Kong Country. This week, I will be reviewing Donkey Kong Country 3 Dixie Kong's Double Trouble, which is an adventure platform video game developed by Rare and published by Nintendo for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. It was first released on November 22, 1996 in North America, November 23, 1996 in Japan, and December 13th of that same year in Europe and Australia. So this is rounding out the Donkey Kong Country Trilogy. Now, I reviewed games 1 and 2, which I really, really like, kind of early on in this show, in its uh, its incarnation. Uh, But I haven't played the third one in a long time, and I remember not having the greatest of memories with it. And I believe I had even mentioned on one of the shows that this was like a major step down from 1 and 2, but... I found a copy of it in very good condition at a, a local retro gaming store here. And I was like, you know what? I haven't played this game since it originally came out, so I thought I'd give it another try. And I will say it's better than I remember it, but I still think it's my least favorite of the three, and I'll tell you why. The first two games, they follow a well, really all three games follow kind of a specific formula. You know, you play as two Kongs, you go through various levels, you collect bananas, all that fun stuff, and you fight King K. rule at the end of the game. Well, I think by the time that this game came out, I kind of knew what I was getting with it. So I was like, oh, it's going to be a Donkey Kong Country game. That's cool. You know, I like the games, Mm -hmm. but I was kind of, expecting something new. And they did throw in a couple of elements that I actually did like. Um, they added... Well, games 1 and 2 have an overworld, or like a, a hub world that you go through to get to your different subworlds where you go and you know collect all your stuff. This is actually the most interactive of the three. You're in this area called the... Um, where is it? The Northern cremosphere, which is basically... Kind of a knockoff of like your Northern Europe and Canada area, but you can actually like really interact with the map instead of just, you know, you move your character left or right and then you hit the A button and you start. So going through this game again, I actually ended up kind of liking it and I felt kind of bad for knocking it so much. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's like I said, it's not. You know what you're getting with it. So, and, uh, it, I mean, is
2: your real problem with it is that it's just there's really nothing new or innovative about it, about it? It's just kind of more of the same as far as the gameplay?
0: Yeah, it's they added in a couple of new things. They added in some new collectibles, new characters, which I thought was pretty cool. But the actual gameplay itself is is, is basically the same you know you go through like your factory levels, your ship levels, your jungle levels, but it it all just feels kind of the same. And you know Donkey Kong Country 1 was so innovative with its you know realistic looking backgrounds, the gameplay was simple, the characters were fun. And then game 2 takes that even farther by adding in like new complexities with the various worlds you go to, adding in a couple of new um you know, new animal friends that you can use, um, you know, to ride and do certain objectives through the game. But this one didn't really introduce any of that. The only things that it really introduced were uh, these characters called the Brothers Bear, where you do like a kind of like a trading system with them. Like you collect different items through the game, so you give one to one bear, he'll give you another item, and you take it to another one, and that unlocks something. Hmm and then you get something else. So that that adds a little bit of a different element to it, but you know, all in all, it's it's really not that different than games 1 and 2. And a, another complaint that I had, you know, going through going through the game was um, games 1 and 2 had some really catchy music. I to tell you how much I like the music, I have some of the tracks saved on my phone. <laughs> and I even made like a, a like a Spotify playlist of video game music, and I have some of the soundtrack from Donkey Kong Country 1 and 2, but guess what game is not on it? Three. This one. Yeah, 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 because I went through
2: on, um, uh, when I was looking through the soundtrack on YouTube yesterday, looking for a track to use, this was really the only one I found that was kind of fun and, you know, kind of reminded me of Donkey Kong Country.
0: Yeah, everything else was just kind of kind of meh.
2: Yeah, there was really nothing catchy about it.
0: Yeah, it was kind of uh I, I don't want to say that Rare was just kind of phoning it in on this one because I I love Rare so much, but this one I felt like maybe they were just kind of you know they were told they needed to make a third game. Yeah. Because I'm... the first two did so well and this was kind of like, well, this this is about all we can do.
2: Yeah, and maybe they were under some kind of deadline and they just they just needed to have the third game out by Christmas time.
0: Yeah. Now, I will say the game is still it looks still very good. It looks, you know, just like games 1 and 2. So, I have zero complaints about the graphics cuz I love that style and I think it fits the Donkey Kong Country genre. But to tell everybody a little bit about the story, the plot revolves around Dixie Kong and her cousin Kitty Kong in their attempts to rescue the kidnapped Donkey Kong and Diddy Kong from series antagonist King K. Rool. The game is set in the northern Crimosphere, a fictionalized version of northern Europe and Canada. Dixie Kong's Double Trouble utilizes the same silicon graphics technology from its predecessors, which featured the use of pre-rendered 3D imagery. The game received positive reviews upon release. Critics praised the visual and various aspects of gameplay, However, most were divided over the game's soundtrack, which uh, I didn't even read that line until just now. <laughs> so even, you know, even critics and others were like, yeah, you know, the, the music in the first two games is just so catchy. Yeah. Well, music but can this, really but make this or one break just a game, it. you know? It really can. hmm I mean, even like some of the, the lower tier Sonic games, I love the music from those games. And I can still kind of get into that because of the music. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not saying that music is the most important thing about oh go
2: ahead. Well, you know, back then games were so heavily reliant on music as well. It's not like, you know, it's not like games today where you can go through an entire game. Like, you know, I've played, you know, a lot of call of duty games, but I don't really remember any music in them. You know, there's nothing special about those kind of games. Like the last game that I can remember that had memorable music was Halo, the Halo series.
0: Yeah, I mean, other than the opening theme from the series, I don't remember anything from it. Yeah, you
2: know, even the newest uh, Zelda game. I mean, there's it's got a great soundtrack. Don't get me wrong. But it like we've talked about it before. It's very understated. It's very sparse. You know, it's a lot more ambient noise
0: in the game than there is music. It doesn't have that iconic song that all the other games have. Yeah. But back
2: then, you know, the, these platformers and and video games, like all video games back then, they were so reliant on the music because you know there wasn't. Um, you know, voice acting and, and cut scenes and all that kind of stuff. Like, you go through the level, and there's music. And most of the time, you're going to go through these levels, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of times, playing these games. That you know, you have to have that good, iconic, catchy music to really, you know, like uh, assault all of your senses at the same time. And, and that's why we have a lot of nostalgia for all these old games, because the music was so great. Like, all the Super Mario games and, you know, Metroid and, hell, Mega Man. Like, all those games had just great music. Ninja Gaiden still, to this day, is, like, one I think... the Ninja Gaiden is probably the best video game soundtrack ever made.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, so many classic games have such great music, but you don't really think of that in, in modern games. I mean, we mentioned call of duty and halo, you know, you, you don't really think of any type of iconic sound from, from any of those. And you, and you can see with this game, you know, if you take that musical aspect out of it, it it can really hurt. Yeah. Now was in, now what's interesting in reading the reviews to this, it actually got generally positive reviews you know, GamePro gave it uh, three out of five stars. GameSpot, 7.8 out of 10. IGN, they gave the SNES version an 8.5 and the Game Boy Advance version a 7.5. And Nintendo Live gave it a nine out of 10. Wow. Which I find to be, you know, I wouldn't give it like a three or a four, but I think nine is a little, nine's a little too much. Like I'd give a nine to, you know, one and two. But but not this one, just because the, I mean introducing like the trading system with the, you know with the Bear Brothers was pretty cool. But to me, it didn't really do enough to make it feel like a new experience. So, so what, I, I will I will say that I didn't dislike it as much as I originally talked about early on in the show, but I still stand by my statement that I think it's the worst of the three.
2: So, what do you think they could have done to make it
0: a better game? Um, that's actually a very good question. I know you may not be able to change like the core gameplay of it, but you know, I think you start with the story, even because Donkey Kong Country 2 involves you rescuing Donkey Kong, you know, and Diddy Kong takes over as a lead character. You're essentially rehashing that plot with this one, but you have to rescue both DK and Diddy Kong. So in a way you're even just kind of rehashing the second game story wise, but you're just putting it in a different location.
2: So maybe it just, it's one of those games that just really didn't even need to be made.
0: Yeah. It's literally, they took the second game and they rehashed the story and just like slightly tweaked it. But You know, not not enough. Even like if I noticed it as a kid when I played it, you know, I know adults who played it definitely noticed. Yeah. So all in all, I think I'd give this game probably I'd give it probably like a six and a half. You know, the the game still looks great, the graphics still hold up. And, you know, the gameplay is still good because it plays just like the Donkey Kong Country series. So it's it's what you would come to expect, but I think due to you know a poor soundtrack and just lack of originality would be what drops it down for me.
2: But do you think it's a it's a must have for
0: a Super Nintendo owner or a collector? <sighs> um if you're a Donkey Kong fan, I would definitely get it just to complete the trilogy. But if it were up to me, it wouldn't necessarily be a requirement. 1 and 2 would be but chances are, if you have one and two, you'll want the third one. So I'll say sure. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm, i actually been thinking a lot about um,
2: coming up with a ranking system for games um, when I review them. I, I've been thinking like maybe there could be, uh, you know, the must have category, you know, which is like Super Mario Brothers three, uh, Metroid, those type of games, and then there are the category of. Um, I'm actively looking for them, but it's not going to kill me not to have them. Which is stuff like you know Double Dragon, um, you know things of that nature. Um, uh, River City Ransom. But then there are games that are I'll pick it up if I run across it for a buck.
0: <laughs> no, I I actually really like that. We should come up with that and maybe like start doing that with our reviews here. Maybe as soon as like you know. Beginning of January.
2: Yeah, I think that would be a good thing. It, it, we could have like maybe four or five different categories to to put the game in, and that'll be our ranking system instead of just you know a straight one ranking of one through ten. It would be you know our personal ranking system of where it would fall in that category and those categories. I like that a lot. We should do that. Um, but also, I forgot to mention I've actually picked up a couple of new games over the last week. Uh, my brother, I um, actually put a couple of pictures up on the Nerd Cave Retro uh, Instagram at Nerd Cave Retro. Uh, I got uh, Blaster Master for the NES, which I played a little bit of, and I forgot how damn hard that game is, but it's really good. Uh, that falls into the must-have category for any uh, Nintendo owner. Um, I picked up a copy of Akari Warriors at the flea market last weekend, and my brother got for me for Christmas which I wasn't even expecting he just picked, got me a copy of it Super Mario All-Stars for the Super Nintendo That's so awesome
0: I love oh, so that good. game
2: I think I may review it next week unless you want to review it or actually we could do a dual review Let's do that let's do, we haven't done a dual review yet Yeah that'll be our so We should do that our Christmas episode the dual review
0: our All-Star Christmas episode. The All-Star Christmas. You, dude, you, this, this writes itself. <laughs> uh, it's like we've done this before.
2: Yeah, it is, but I, I've been playing <laughs> the hell out of it. I couldn't stop. I actually got to bed way too late last night because I was playing Super Mario All-Stars.
0: It's, it's such a fun game. You know, is going back and revisiting... Uh, all the old games, I'll I'll save it for next week. Okay,
2: yeah, let's do that.
0: (laughs) So uh, anything else you want to talk about before we leave this week? Yes, uh, this upcoming Saturday, December 23rd at 3.15 Central Time, I will be doing a special Facebook Live episode of the Derek Diamond Experience showcasing the London Arts Acting Studio, which is run by Mr. Jeremy London. So... Jeremy, along with several other uh, local filmmakers, actors, um, will all be on just a huge panel uh, talking about the local film scene that we have here. I think it's going to run. It's going to run probably close to two hours. So, you know, come by, come on by uh, around three fifteen, make some popcorn. Just if you want to ask questions. Definitely do that, too. Just go to facebook.com slash Podcast. I'll post the the video there when I go live. And like I said, that'll be at 3.15 p.m. Central Time, this Saturday, December 23rd.
2: Fantastic. And I think we're actually going to be, uh, this week, we'll be back on our normal schedule, and we'll do our live episode on Sunday night at 7.30 at um, twitch.tv slash J Funktastic, J A Y Funktastic. Yeah. And uh, as far as the pop culture palette, uh, we've gone bi weekly. So uh, we're still, the last episode is up where we talked with Michael Boucher, the bass player from Fall as well, my old band. And we talked about our time in the music industry, which was a really good and really fun show. So go over there and check that out at PCP Show. And I think that's going to do it for us this week. Let me go ahead and start our music here. Um, Is it going to start? Please play. There we go. That. Yeah, thank you. All right. So if you would like to email us, you can email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. We're also on nerdcaveretro.com. We're on the Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro. Uh, we're, and you can follow us individually at JFantastic and at Derek underscore Diamond. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro. And like we talked about earlier... If you'd like to send us any kind of news articles or anything, you can either email us or uh, send them to our Twitter, at NerdCaveRetro, and we'll talk about it on the show. Uh, Other than that, I think it's time to get out of here. So go ahead and say goodnight, Derek.
0: May the way of the hero lead to the Triforce.
2: And we'll see you next week.